my experience has led me to the whole pain being a mentor philosophy. That when I'm getting pain flare-ups, it's because I've overflowed. It's because I'm my hexagon is actually not managed effectively. And how I need to manage that changes at different phases of my life. It'll change in 10 years' time how my hexagon will look will probably be different how it looks today. Welcome to Invisible Not Broken. Today, we're talking about physiotherapy, the hexagon model, and using pain as the ultimate mentor. Our host, Monica, is joined by author and physiotherapist, Kevin Hunt. So Kevin, you've been super patient with me, so thank you. We've been rescheduling this for a while. Yeah, it's hard to schedule things across the uh, Atlantic Pacific if you go the other way around. That is very true. We are on different continents, so our experience with healthcare systems are going to be very different. So keep that in mind as we're talking about prices and costs of things and what's legal or illegal in other areas. We are, I'm sorry, which, where are you exactly? I know you're over... I'm in Cambridge in the UK. You're just going to make me very jealous through this entire time we chat. Why is that? I am desperate to move over there. Okay, move to, just move to Cambridge, move to the UK. Why so? Honestly, the UK, absolutely. Cambridge is such a dream. I am head over heels and lowest everything I've seen. I know it's not the most wheelchair accessible area, which kind of makes me nervous. Yeah. But it's so pretty. I think I could just park my wheelchair somewhere and just enjoy. Yeah, it's problem with, the problem is, is like that when you have a city that is 800 years old. The problem is so many things are going to be old and bumpy and rickety and cobblestones. And it's, it's getting that balance between kind of how do we preserve things, but how do we make it accessible for everyone? How do we make help people live here? And that's something that's not, you know, it's it's spoken about in tokenism, but it's not necessarily done in practical in practical terms. Have, have you been to Cambridge? I have not. I just, because I'm very, I'm pretty disabled. I spend a lot of time in VR and I do walking tours. So some really nice people during the lockdown who did walking tours just yeah. did VR walking tours by themselves. I love travel. I love seeing things. It's a wonderful way to decide where I can and can't go. I have learned that Cinque Terre is absolutely out of the picture, not a possibility. Okay, okay. It's also fun to get to experience things I won't experience. I get to tag along with someone who's on like a surf trip or hiking somewhere that like in the ever, like I won't get to do that. So I get to tag along. Well, you it's can, a lot you of fun. You can live vicariously through these things, can't you? I mean, so many of us yeah. will never get to do many things, but at least if we can kind of get a flavor of it, that can still offer a little bit of pleasure, mm-hmm. a little bit of joy, a little bit of necessarily hope, but a little bit of kind of light, sprinkle a little bit of color in your day. Well, this is a really nice shoehorn into your specialty, which is pain and the ability to sort of like rethink how we experience pain because someone like me, I'm in pain 24-7 every single day, all day for decades. So I use a lot of, I mean, I am absolutely on all of the medication and I could not even do this without my medication, but there's a lot of breakthrough and I do a lot of distracting to be able to handle my life. And the VR is one of my big distractions. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I mean, you know, as we talked about previously on, on, on email correspondence and stuff, it's that, you know, I, I have, you know, persistent pain for many years, 25 or so years as a result of a, a bicycle accident I had, you know, many years ago. And I, you know, deal with people in pain on a professional level because I'm a, I'm a physiotherapist working with people across all sorts of sectors, if you know, throughout my career from professionals forward to industry, to hospitals, to rehabilitation centers for multiple traumas and to, you know, Joe Public, as it were, in terms of every everyday people. We're all everyday people. I kind of hate that phrase, ordinary people. Like some people are, you know, somehow different. Everyone, everyone is a person. But in terms of, yeah, so like you have my own personal journey with pain and I deal with people on a daily basis who are in persistent pain. I mean, you know, professionally, nobody comes to see me unless they're in pain. Nobody rings me 
you know, eight weeks, uh, you know, says, by the way, I intend breaking my ankle in eight weeks. Could I schedule some appointments? <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're going to come in, in in some sort of crisis, some sort of, of mode. But I guess, you know, as we were talking about our, we try with persistent pain, i.e. pain that's gone beyond three months. We try to help people kind of use pain to their advantage. We try and help people understand that pain is not so much a binary thing, as in it's all good or all bad. We try and help people kind of explore their pain journey for themselves and figure out the things that turn the pain up and turn the pain down. And a lot of times, you know, myself early on with, with, with my kind of pain, I would look to be a passenger in that. I would look for somebody to fix it for me. You know, give me an injection, give me medication, make it magically go away. And you try all the things, you try everything. You know, you try this treatment, you try that treatment, you try this pillow, you try that pillow. You know, you, you create this huge narrative around yourself that I can do this, I can't do that. Or, you, you know, you, you start to filter your decisions through your pain. And that helps up to a point, but then there gets a point where you kind of think, hang on, I need to start taking ownership of this myself. And I need to try and figure out what works for me, you know, personally. And one of the things we're always trying to help people understand is that, and, and from listening to previous episodes of your podcast, you know, it was kind of uh, a, a theme again and again and again was coming through where people would say, I go into a doctor, they'd tell me to do this. And then they wouldn't really offer any of the solutions or whatever. And then I say to people all the time, you know, there's two experts in every room in any, any kind of scenario, there's you and there's the, let's say the clinical specialist, but you don't have to totally believe what they say. You don't have to necessarily dismiss what they say, but you've got to figure out what's, what's, what's right for you on your journey. And I think a lot of the time, you know, we hear from people going, well, if they couldn't find something wrong with me, they dismissed me entirely. And then, you know, I was, you know, just sent off to figure it out on my own. So I guess from a pain point of view, we're, we're trying to, or personally trying to kind of go, okay, maybe I need to listen to what my pain is telling me so that I can then figure out what turns it up and what turns it down. And, you know, that's a journey I'm sure you are on and going on as, as everybody who's more than likely listening to this podcast is going on. There was one of your guests, I, I think I mentioned, it was Dion, was it? And I thought he had a really similar mindset. He had a really similar philosophy. It sounded like a great, great guy where it was like, you know, you've got to figure out what's right for you. You've got you to gotta, you gotta figure this stuff out. So I guess what I've been trying to do in my professional career, as well as, you know, book and everything else, is actually try to put some science, but some practical advice in there and just kind of explain some of the things I've discovered over the last 25 years being in this sphere. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. So let's start with, you know, just something off, I think off the cuff, but I wanted to delve into a little bit. You said no one calls me up saying I'm going to break my ankle in three weeks. If someone actually could see into the future, is there something that you could suggest for people to prepare their bodies for? Like, let's face it, chronic illness is a club that everyone's going to, if they live long enough, be a part of. We are very welcoming over here in our little spoony club. Is there something that you, like my physical therapist recommends like bridges for everyone, just off the cuff, do bridges. Is there anything that you can think as of? In, as like, in an exercise, as in yes, like do bridges. Yes, he says just like, please do your bridges. And my mom, who's the healthiest person I've ever met, I got her doing that. And oh my goodness, all of a sudden, like between bridges and walking every day, she is 75 and her pain level drops significantly. And I'm not saying this is a cure-all. And please, if you're listening, do not see us. We are not offering medical advice. We're just offering life experiences. Sure. I I would say that the, the principles I follow are, there are two main things that I would say to everyone and personally live by myself. I see that we all as individuals, and whether that be an individual body part or individuals as a whole, 
we have to consider ourselves like a bucket that we have capacity and you fill that bucket up with water effectively. And eventually, as you reach your capacity, that bucket overflows. And that's when you start to experience symptoms. You get pain, a flare up and back pain, headache, whatever it may be. And then you have to do something to bail water out of that bucket. Maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you have a good night's sleep. Maybe you take a painkiller. Maybe you, I don't know, do, do a specific exercise. Maybe you offload. Maybe you talk to somebody about your, about your concerns. And you, your symptoms dial back down because you've bailed something out of the bucket, as it were. But what you don't know is whether you've bailed out 10% or 20% or 50%. You just kind of think, well, I'm not quite as bad as I was, as it were. So I believe we all have a capacity. We all have, if you will, a bucket that we fill and empty with everything we do in our lives. And the paradox in a way is that everything we do both fills and empties the bucket. Now I use the philosophy of the health hexagon, which is six things that will have major impact on your health and well-being. how much you fill and empty your bucket. That's sleep. And none of this is new in a way. None of it is, is kind of uh, anything that hasn't been known before, but the nuances around and actually using it to your advantage may be a little bit enlightening for people. So our health hexagon basically is the sleep, diet, exercise, cognitive load, the emotional load, and the spiritual offloading. And as I said, everything fills and empties your bucket. So for instance, a good night's sleep gives you more capacity for the next day. A bad night's sleep, you haven't got as much capacity for the day ahead of you. And that doesn't mean you overflow that day. It may be that it's uh, three or four nights of bad sleep in a row. Now you've reached your capacity and now you're overflowing. So the advice I have for people in general, both to prevent injuries as best they can or to, to prevent the kind of pain experience or, or reduce the impact, is just think, think, of, think of your bucket, think of your capacity and think of what your hexagon looks like. And if you overflow because you've fallen off a horse and broken your ankle, okay, you know, ring me up and, and, and we'll, we'll try and help you deal with it. But that's for the acute event. Now, you might argue in a sense of, well, why did you fall off that horse to break your ankle? You know, was your core stability good? Was your balance good? Were you dehydrated? Were you, were you not paying attention because you've got a lot of stresses going on in your life that are, that are contributing to that? So in terms of how can people, the idea being that, well, if we can stay within the capacity, if you will, of our bucket, in other words, we're, we're, we're trying to live a life that's about 80%, then we're unlikely to overflow. And the reason we need 80% is so that we're, we, we have space for the known unknowns, the space for when the kids are having a bad day and that's stressing you out when the boiler breaks down. I don't know, do you guys have boilers in California? Do you, do you like, do you um, even? Do they... Yeah, I think we do. I think we call it something different, but yeah, I'm pretty sure. In California, yeah. we're, we're very weird here. So I guess you have something to heat up your water, but we've got... We do, we have water heaters. Okay, so, but the point is that if you've got one of these unknown stressors, you've got to have space in your bucket. And if you don't have space in your bucket, you're going to overflow, you're going to get pain. So are there any, yeah, listen, live this life and you'll be okay. Yeah. You got to have some solid sleep. You got to look after your, your, your nutrition, your diet, but that's going to be different for everyone. The problem is people love an off the shelf product, don't they? I'll be vegan and all my problems will go away. I'll do yoga and all my problems will go away. I'll do cold showers and all my problems will go away. But it's not as simple as that because there are multiple things that are filling and emptying our buckets all the time. What I do as an individual to help with my pain system is I try and figure out what does fill and empty my bucket. What systems can I put in place as a person to go, you know what, that eats up more of my energy than it's worth. Some things we have to, we have to deal with because life is not simple. 
But we also have to go, I need to offload that. I need to offset that. So if I have to do something that I know is going to challenge me physically, intellectually, emotionally, any of those kind of things, then ultimately I'm going to have to make sure I have space for it as best I can. And if I do end up having a scenario where I, if you will, overflow into a pain flare-up, I have to have a methodology to dial back down, if you know what I mean, so that I can recover from that flare-up. Or if I, if I know my body can take it, I persevere through that because I know it'll taper off in, in due course as it were. So this is often the big challenge for people. They all, everybody wants a one size fix all solution. Everybody wants a quick fix. Give me the key to life. And it's like, well, there's six things. So that, that you know, the six things will fill an empty bucket. But everybody who comes to see me at a professional level, their bucket's overflowing. It's either been overflowing for months, years, or maybe a few weeks after they've fallen off that horse or bicycle or, or whatever it is. But the persistent pain sort of thing, beyond three months, they're the ones where we have to really work with the expectations, the lifestyle factors, and reframing many things. I'm sure you've had to reframe loads of things to just cool. Oh, we have a lot here. And one of the things I really love that you're saying is the 80%. And it's wild for me. I don't know how, I mean, I have not spent nearly enough time in the UK to know how your your culture there works. But here, especially in Silicon Valley, the idea of going 80% would just be insane. And the hit the wall, the 120% effort all the time, consistently. I think that also feeds into what you're talking about with the idea of everyone wanting that quick fix. And I don't think that's a laziness or anything other than an exhaustion response of hitting the 100% all the time and just give me some things that can keep hitting 100%. Or you're saying dial it back to 80 and then you leave room for critical thinking and life and all the things that life will throw at you. That's beautiful. Yeah, you have to. I mean, listen, I, I see most people when they come in to me, they'll kind of go, J just do your magic, you know, fix me, <laughs> you know, whatever you do. So I can just get on with the life I have. And, you know, we'll, we'll have conversations and we'll kind of say things, listen, if you've hurt your back, bending down to tie your shoelaces, you know, you are living at a pace that your body can't handle. Because bending down to tie your shoelaces, now I know you've had a Stanley syndrome, which is different, but like if you know, so like bending, bending down to tie your shoelaces. I've just located bending down to tie shoelaces. I don't have shoelaces anymore because I get hurt all the time trying to get that done. So you figured out cognitively, maybe I'll have slip-ons rather than shoelaces. That'll take a drop out of my bucket. Yeah. So it's all these micro little things that add up. This again is where we think, well, okay, from a, from a bucket an analogy, yeah, you're hypermobile. So you, you're going to have a smaller bucket for some of those physical tasks and you won't be playing by the same rules that I'm playing by because I'm not hypermobile. So, uh, you know, if I bend down to my shoelaces, I'm not going to dislocate anything. But a lot of people who are not hypermobile fear they're going to dislocate something when they bend down to tie their shoelaces because they're getting pain when they bend down to tie their shoelaces, but they're not hypermobile. So their pain is coming from a different mechanism or a different reason. But often the belief that people can carry is that, for instance, if I bend and twist, I'm going to dislocate something. Now you might, because you're in an exceptional category, but your so-called ordinary person, average person, whatever we want to call them, that's not going to be the mechanism that's driving their pain. So people are coming to me as it were, they will be, as I said, living life or their buckets overflowing. They go, do your magic, get me out of pain. 
and actually let me get back to the life that I'm living. And we have to go, hang on a second. If you're coming to see me because you woke up and you, 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 you didn't fall off horse, you didn't fall off your bicycle or you didn't, you know, whatever, have a specific mechanism of injury, or you've gone and had all the investigations and the scans and everything else and they haven't established a, you know, a significant disc prolapse or whatever it is, then your pain system is shouting at you to go, we've got to find a different way of managing the future here. Because if you were getting pain because you were just living your normal day, we've got to consider what you're expecting to put in that bucket on your normal day. In my career, I've had the real privilege of working with numerous high achievers, among others, Olympic athletes, world champions in various things, um, startup founders, billionaires, you know, people who've had academic awards that, 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 that we've all kind of heard of. And, you know, they struggle as well because they're driven people and they're driven to succeed, if you will. But what they're setting their purpose being, what they're setting their aiming at or their sights at, aren't necessarily in the interest of their physical, emotional, mental well-being. But they've somehow fallen into that race, haven't they? They're competing against my business must be successful or else I'm a failure. And then their body is kind of going, well, hang on a second, I've got to step in and, and remind you that we need to juggle all those six elements of health hexagon. So yeah, you'll be surrounded by people in Silicon Valley that are living life at 100 miles an hour and they'll get away with it for a while. They will, but sooner or later, something is going to have to, it's going to have to step in. And in my view, that's very often is the pain system. And, and in a lot of ways, we'll say with certain people with particular persistent pain, back pain, neck pain, whatever it may be, that actually your pain is trying to tell you something. And maybe it's a good thing that your body is expressing itself that way rather than the heart attack that you didn't see coming, you know, because, you know, we have another portion of people who, who discovered that their body is living through a unsustainable formula, if you will, only when they're in a with that heart attack. So we have to be mindful, don't we, that everyone's pain journey is happening for a different reason. If we take your example, you've got a smaller bucket at that physical level, let's say. There's a bucket? I saw no bucket. I saw something that was about that big, but not a bucket. <laughs> not a coin purse, if you will. A coin purse. But so you, you must have either through trial and error, you know, just pure frustration. You must have stumbled across a few things that you have registered. Okay, yeah, that actually helps. That maybe empties my bucket a little bit. Or if I do more of that, maybe my thimble coin purse size thing grows a little bit more capacity. Tricky thing is if you're comparing it, if you're comparing yourself, any of us to somebody else, then we always think, hang on, I should be able to do that too. So, so what have you discovered? Let's say with some of those things I'm saying about, you know, buckets and, and health hexagons, what, what are you thinking? Actually, yeah, here's, here's what definitely overflows my bucket as it were. One of the things that we use here in my household, because I'm in a house full of chronically ill people, is we're nerds. We're total geeks. And we use here in the United States, a spoonie theory is usually what's called. You have a certain amount of spoons, take one spoon to brush your teeth, takes, you know. And I find that very good if you're disabled in a different way. If you're chronically ill, it changes second by second. Yeah. So we use the D20 method of discussing our illness. I don't know if anyone's a role-playing game person here, but you roll a D20 to see what you can do. And that feels much more accurate to life. Some days I can roll really high and, wow, I just took the dog for a walk. That was really exciting. And then I just slid a little bit on a leaf on that walk and now I'm in bed for a month. 
Like, it's just such a quick change as far as what makes my day better and worse. You know, it just, it really depends on the day, but I do find my dogs make life much better. My kids, oh my gosh, they definitely make things happier. My husband is one of the best humans I've ever met and keeps me laughing. And when the pain is just beyond, I find getting into a flow of something to be really good, like writing or drawing or going on the VR has, and I've been reading the research and VR with pain therapy has been a really interesting little nugget there. I do want to go into your experience because you actually have empathy versus sympathy, meaning you've experienced chronic pain and sudden. And that's it really interests me because I've been in pain since I was five. Like, I can't remember a time where I was not hurting all the time. So I am fascinated by you people who have bodies that you actually trusted and suddenly are not doing the things you asked. So what is something that you can talk about from your experience or advice you give people who suddenly have a big shift and a change? I'm not certain I understand the question. So can you ask, can you ask me again? Sorry. No worries. My question is this. It's really hard to go from a body that you've trusted, that you're like, I know what I can do. And then car accident, slip, any of the random stuff that happens in life. And all of a sudden, your body is not the body you knew or remembered or understand. What are some of the ways that someone who has suddenly experienced a huge shift in a suddenly pain, like someone who's just experienced like stubbing a toe is their pain experience. And now this is not going away. What do you tell people to work on to be able to handle this new philosophy? And what did you do? Because you experienced this. I can only speak at an individual level, my my own personal experience, but then how I use that to kind of help other people. So for a long time, yes, I was a passenger in my treatment. I was I was angry. I was angry at you know being hit by a car, all those kind of things. I was frustrated that I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. You lose a sense of a degree, a sense of identity at some level, all of those things. Then I realized that actually, as is often the case for many people, and not many people in persistent pain, chronic pain, like this phrase, but uh, true at many levels. And the level as a word of phrase that people don't always like to hear is that everyone with persistent pain has pain-free moments, just not always necessarily aware of those pain-free moments there will be pain-free moments. Now, a lot of the time people will kind of go, oh yeah, but I was distracted. Therefore, I was distracting myself from the pain. Point was your pain system didn't have to speak up at that point. Your pain system was pacified, if you will, because you are in the flow of that thing. You were in the flow of that moment. That's a good thing. Now, of course, we've got to be trying to get into the flow of that moment more reliably. But once you, once I started to realize that, no, actually, you know what? My pain is inconsistent. Actually, there are periods where I can do things that I perceived were bad for me or couldn't do. And then I also had to go, well, hang on a second. Does it really make sense? That if this thing, i.e. sitting in that chair, using that pillow, you know, whatever it may be, that exercise, that movement, if it, it doesn't hurt every single time, but it does hurt a lot of the time. So then you start to realize, okay, there are clearly things that turn my pain up and turn my pain down. Now, what we know from the pain system, that there's three different types of pain systems, but we won't go into to that kind of too much detail. But what we know from a persistent pain or nociplastic pain system is that basically what happens in any experience is that we have a sensory stimulus. So we feel something, taste something, smell something, touch something, see something. And we have a sixth sense as well, don't we? That kind of sixth sense. But our senses get stimulated in some shape or form. Those messages go into the central nervous system of the brain and spinal cord. 
and they get filtered through stored data. Now, stored data is everything we understand from past experience, from belief systems, instinct, hurt, harm, risk, reward. So every time you have a negative experience, your body will store it because we are designed and wired to actually look at the negative more than the positive as a preservation mechanism. But the filtering system that the body goes through has an enormous impact on the stored data. And it has an enormous impact on what we experience or what we feel. But of course, in the moment of pain, oh, I've done something wrong at this moment. That's why I am in pain right now. You know, this chair I'm sitting on or whatever it may be. And of course, then we update our stored data, our belief systems with that chair is bad for me. Better not sit in that for too long. And the difficulty is that goes on and on and on and compounds over time. And if you're flooded by people around you going, oh, don't sit down, that's a bad chair. Or the doctors you see or the physios or the specialists are going, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, don't sit in there or don't do this, don't do that, the other. You get a lot of don'ts. But you don't get too many, you should do this. Actually try this, try that, try the other. So in relation to kind of once I started to realize that, okay, my pain is inconsistent. I'm in pain most days, pain turns up, pain turns down. But then I discovered over time, actually, if I got my hexagon in better order, in other words, I was reliable with my sleep. And it's not easy to be reliable with your sleep. We've, we have two children, they're, they're a bit older now, but you know, my, my neck and my back would be so much sorer during those phases. And it's easy to actually go, oh, I must have picked the kid up wrong, or my kid's getting heavy, or it's the car seat, or it's the buggy, all the binary practical things. But equally you go, well, hang on, if I'm able to do, you know, this particular exercise on a good day, the car seat is not the problem, you know, because actually I have the strength to do that particular lift, that thing, lift a bag of shopping, for instance. And so therefore lifting, you know, a three month old baby in a, in a car seat is no heavier than that. So why is my body complaining? And actually a lot of the time it's like, yeah, your hexagon is not good, you know, in that sense of you're sleep deprived. You're not eating well because you're living on sugar because you're struggling to, you're struggling to make a meal. Your sense of identity is being, you know, challenged as it were. So every time you go through a kind of a life experience or upheaval, you started to notice my pain was getting worse. My pain was spiking. My pain was, was diminishing. My pain was spiking. My pain was diminishing. And then you start looking for, okay, hang on. Are these things I'm doing or avoiding? Am I now stopping to do some of the things that are good for me? And because I've got back pain, neck pain, lifting a baby or whatever it was, maybe I would be fearful to go for a walk, to go for a run, do some exercise, do some press-ups, do whatever it was. But once I started to realize, actually, some days my bucket has capacity to do stuff, some days it doesn't. And when my bucket overflows, definitely getting a pain response. Could be days, could even be weeks. And actually when I were living a lifestyle that was within my capacity, because I felt I was coping with life, sleeping well, exercising regularly, eating healthily up to a point without, you know, trying to live like a monk from the 15th century or something. And actually had purpose, had a sense of purpose, had a, had a, had a project that inspired me or, or motivated me, but absolutely had some space to upload. You know, whether that's through playing music, whether it's through reading, writing, whether it's through playing a game of golf, whether it's through, you know, listening to music or actually just being, being silent, being calm, allowing yourself moments to calm, moments to breathe as it were. And again, obviously having, having that emotional kind of people who are good for you, you know, people who will want the best for you, but who won't just cooperate what you're saying or want to hear that they will actually challenge you and encourage you to do the things that are good for you even when you don't want to do them. So my experience has led me to 
the whole pain being a mentor philosophy, that when I'm getting pain flare-ups, it's because I've overflowed. It's because I'm, my hexagon is actually not managed effectively. And how I need to manage that changes at different phases of my life. It'll change in 10 years time, how my hexagon will look will probably be different how it looks today. But definitely, so what I try and do with people who I see at a professional level is I kind of go, you know, everyone with persistent pain has pain-free moments. Let's figure out when they are. And again, the common narrative is like, yeah, yeah, but I'm distracted. You know, it's like, that's a pain-free moment. Bank it, take it. It's a win. And kind of try to figure out how did I get there? How did I get to that moment in time and space? But those moments might be small, but they're not to be dismissed. Because actually we need them to think, maybe there are a few things that I can influence, maybe, that might just make the journey a little bit easier or the journey a little bit less, um, less distressing as it were. So that's my, my view, my take. And when people I see in clinic who may not have some of the complexities that you have, although I have dealt with, with, with people with fact mobility, is that actually we're thinking, let's start there. Let's look for the ways. And many times, even after a first appointment, people will come back and go, yeah, you know what? It is 24-7. It is actually, I have these moments, these little moments. And now I need to kind of expand on them. How do I expand on them? And we try and help them with their hexagon. Very often from a, from a physio point of view, we also have to help them with actually trusting their body can move and, and training it how to move again. So that's, that's where we come. And because I, I suppose I do have experience, I'm able to go, listen, here's how it was for me. It might not be the same for you, but I can tell you things that push my buttons definitely set my pain up. So let's try and figure out what's pushing your buttons. And now you have a book for this. Yeah, I have a book. And actually, again, for me, it's, it, it's, it was a creative experience because that's something that I, I need a project. I need something to get into the flow of and doing. I liked one of the questions you asked on the little pre kind of questionnaire you sent me was, you know, I think it was, it was something along the lines of what scares you. And I, and I think I think my answer was something along the lines of I, I'm not having a project. That's what scares me. So understand that. Because I know, it's, I know it helps my pain. I, I know if I'm in that sweet spot where I feel purpose, I feel I'm progressing towards something that is new and creative and, and challenging. At, at a chemical level, we know that produces dopamine. You know, we know that that produces, you know, the progression toward a goal rather than getting to the goal itself. It's the progression that actually releases that dopamine that actually makes you feel good. So I need a project and, and, and you know, the, the book was certainly a project. And what's been lovely about it, you know, I'm getting feedback from people and responses from people. I had a message from somebody in, in Ecuador who had pain for a couple of years. And they said that, you know, reading the book really helped them to understand their pain journey and put some practical steps in place. And, you know, when you can do something as a physio, you're limited as to who you can see in your geographical area. But then when you think, you know, I've never seen that person, I've never assessed them, I've never, I don't know their history, I don't know the story, but the philosophy of hang on, look at it this way and, and maybe some of this stuff resonates. So for me, that's a really fulfilling thing to know that you can maybe influence change with someone you've never seen, met, heard, or will ever probably see meet her care, you know? That is amazing. And we are out of time, but please go wherever you get your books, be it on audiobook. I believe you have an audiobook for this. If you're wanting audio, we have ebook and of course in print, and it is Pain the Ultimate Mentor. Great title by Kevin Hunt. If you're at our show notes, you'll have a link directly to the book. Thank you so much, everyone. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate this. Thank you. Be kind, be gentle, be a badass. And and we're hoping Dion will be able to come on soon. Um, as we had mentioned Dion earlier, he's been having some health issues. We're hoping he'll be starting his podcast on our network very, very soon. 
Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about today's episode, including show notes, transcripts, and more, please visit InvisibleNotBroken.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also support this show by heading over to our Patreon or by sharing these episodes. We are not advertising, and our growth is thanks to you listeners. Thank you to our host Monica and Kevin for a wonderful discussion. This episode was edited by me, Luke Spine. Last but not least, be kind, be gentle, and be badass.